Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Well, take out your Bibles and turn over to Matthew 27. Matthew chapter 27. And we are going to be talking this morning about what do you do when life's not fair? Thank you, David. What do you do when life's not fair? Has anybody here ever had life not be fair to you? How about, as Emily said this morning, when you uh, disappeared an hour there, just kind of vanished in, into, into nothing, and now you're a little bit tired. You know, you're the tough people. You know, those 11 o'clock people, they get up like normal and didn't show up for worship. But you all had to get up earlier than normal to be here. So, you know, I really appreciate uh, you being here. Well, for me, there was an incident a couple of weeks ago where life wasn't fair. Uh, you know, I've got the blood clots in my leg and I was going to see my hematologist, a word I didn't even know existed till a few months ago, you know, something like that. And uh, so I'm running a little late. There's a meeting here at church. I got out of it. So I rushed to the office building there at Baptist East. I go running up to my hematologist office. I go in and I say, I'm here for my appointment. And they say, who are you? And I say, Chip Pendleton. And they go, Chip Pendleton, we don't have you down here. And I said, well, it's in my telephone. And if it's in my telephone, it's accurate, you know. And she said, okay, well, let me check, you know. And she goes, oh, you're at Baptist East Point today, not Baptist uh, East down here. And I said, oh, my goodness. And she said, well, let me call and see if they can still take you. So she calls down to Baptist East Point, And they say, well, if he can get here in 15 minutes, we can still take him. And so I jump in. I put it in my GPS. It's like a 20-minute drive. And so I thought, no problem. You know, I'll be there in 15 minutes. So I take off. Uh, I get there. I've got the little card with the address on it. And when I get there, there's no building with that address that's on my card. And so I finally just say, well, I'm going to go into this building. It looks like an office building. I go in, I look at the menu. There's none of my doctor that he's not on there anywhere. So I go up to like the third floor. I don't know why I just go up to the third floor, start walking around. I still don't see anything. And so I just go into a random office and I say, I'm looking for my doctor, but I don't know where they are. And I hand her the card and she looks at the card and she said, well, I don't think that address exists. And I said, well, you know, I, I'm finding out the same thing. And she said, what's your doctor? And I tell her, so she calls down and they say, well, we can give you the right number. So then they, they call the doctor's office and they say, well, we are in the same building you're in just a couple of floors up. So then I run up a couple of floors. I go running in and I say, you know, Chip Pendleton, I, I'm here and everything. And uh, they said, well, you're late. And I said, well, yeah, I'm, I know I'm late. And I said, but, you know, the card has the wrong address. And she looks at it and she says, that is the wrong address. We probably need to change that. And I said, well, yeah, you know, well, whatever. And so they immediately take me back because I'm already late. The nurse checks my blood pressure and she says, Mr. Pelton, your blood pressure is just a little bit high today. And I'm going, well, you know, I don't know what to tell you. You know, it's just, it's just one of those things. So there's times that life is just not fair. It doesn't quite work out the way that you want it to, no matter what you do. We're going to be looking over to Matthew 27 at the trial of Jesus. And we're going to see how life is not fair and then what to do about it. So the first thing we see when we look over to Matthew 27 is this. We need to realize life's not fair and not expect it to be. Realize life is not fair and don't go into it with the expectation that it's going to be fair. Look over, I said Matthew 27, but who would rather look at Matthew 26? Thank you, we'll do that. Matthew 26. 
You're you're looking at the outline, aren't you? Obviously, I wasn't. Matthew 26, uh, down to verse 57. Now, those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had been assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Now, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they might put him to death, but they couldn't find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. And finally, two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I'm going to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Now, as you look into our scripture, Jesus has been arrested by the chief priest. He's been taken to an emergency meeting, we're told, of the whole Sanhedrin in verse 59. Now, the Sanhedrin was the ruling council, a Jewish ruling council in Jerusalem. It was made up of 70 members. These were the religious elites, the most important people in the community. This was the best of the best in Jerusalem. And so this group has come together uh, for this emergency trial of Jesus. Now, what's interesting about this is that in the Sanhedrin law itself, it we're told that you could not have a meeting at night because it was not out in the open and everybody needed to know what was going on. So they're breaking their own rules by even having this meeting to begin with. But then we're told not only are they having an illegal meeting, but they're intentionally looking for false evidence against Jesus. And they're bringing up all these witnesses who are telling lies about things they've heard, but they can't get the witnesses to agree. And according to Jewish law, you have to have at least two witnesses for something to stand in court. And finally, they get two people up there that say, well, he said something about destroying the temple and rebuilding it in three days. So here you have this unbelievable, unfair, rigged trial. And it can't get any more unfair than that. Jesus, a person that's never done anything wrong, now has the best, the brightest, and the religious leaders of his country looking for false evidence so that he can be accused of a crime and put to death. It doesn't get any more unfair than that. But you know, when you look at your life, you look around and you can say, well, there's a lot of things that happen to me on a daily basis that aren't very fair. Our kids figure that out. Our kids know from an early age, life's not fair. If you've ever had children, what's one of the first things they say as they start getting older? That's not fair. You know, especially if they got a brother and sister. If they've got an older brother or sister, you'll hear that all the time. That's just not fair. And then what do you always say back? Well, life's not fair, kid. You might as well grow up and get used to it. You know, something like that. So we know that. We know life's not fair. We mock our children and try to make them miserable by telling them that. And then when life isn't fair to us, we act shocked. We know it. But then when it's not fair to us, it's like, well, what's wrong with that? Why didn't it work out? How come life is unfair? How come someone I loved got sick and cancer? How come someone was in a car wreck? Why did they lose their job? Why did that tornado hit at just the right time and destroy their house? And we see things that happen in life and we know they're not right and we know they're not fair. And even though we have this big picture that that's not the way the world really is, when it hits us, it still hurts. We still question, does God love me? Where is he? Why isn't he doing something? And so we question what's going on. Why isn't life fair? But the truth of the matter is God nowhere in the Bible at any point tells you life's going to be fair. 
As a matter of fact, much of the Bible is about the fact that life isn't fair. You've got an entire book of the Bible, the book of Job, about how unfair life is. Uh, you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it doesn't take long to realize life's not very fair. Read the book of Haggai, the whole book again is about why isn't life fair? Why isn't God doing what he's supposed to do? So the Bible isn't out there telling you that life's fair, but somehow we get this notion that it is. We get this idea that everything's supposed to work out and everything's supposed to be fine. And when it's not, we question God and we question love. But when you look at the big picture and you look at what the Bible really teaches, what you find is this. We have natural disasters like hurricanes and earthquakes and tsunamis because we live in a fallen world. This isn't the Garden of Eden. It's not the world God intended for it to be. With the sin of mankind came a fallen world. And so this world isn't the way God wanted it to be. And sometimes natural disasters occur because we live in a fallen world. But we not only live in a fallen world, we live among fallen people. None of us are what God intended for us to be. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so people are selfish and people do things that are wrong and people hurt one another and people do great evil because we are fallen people living in a fallen planet. But then even more than that, we have an adversary, uh, an adversary, the devil that is actively trying to subvert us and bring us down. And so we live in a fallen world among fallen people with an adversary trying to trip us up constantly. And then we wonder why the world's not perfect. The simple fact of the matter is where you like to think about it or not is you were born into a war zone. And there is a battle going on and it is not the way God intended for it to be. This is not the Garden of Eden. And the Bible never tells you it will be. In Psalm 23, what's it say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. It's not you don't walk through a valley that feels like it's killing you, it's so bad. It's that when you walk through it, God's going to be with you. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. Be of good courage. I've overcome this world. So if we go into it with the idea of why is there trouble in the world? Why isn't anything right? Then we've missed the whole point of what the world's about. Because this is not the world God intended for it to be. Life is not fair. Fallen world, fallen people, an adversary. It's not a fair life and don't expect it to be. And that brings us to the next thing that we see in our scripture passage. When life isn't fair, remember your mission and your purpose. Remember your mission and your purpose. So here we have Jesus. Jesus has been taken in front of the religious leaders. They're trying to find witnesses to lie so that they can unfairly condemn him to death. It can't get any more unfair to that. And let's see how Jesus responds to it in verse 62 and 63. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, aren't you going to answer? What's the testimony these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. So here he is in the midst of this unfair trial with all of these things going on that just aren't right. And Jesus is asked by the high priest, why aren't you defending yourself? Why aren't you saying anything? The testimony is against you. Say something. And Jesus remains silent. Now, why does Jesus remain silent? He remains silent for one very important reason. Because his intention, his mission, and his purpose 
is not to be freed from the trial, but to go to the cross and die for your sins. So what is happening is exactly what he wants to happen. He wants to be condemned. He wants to be sentenced to death because it's through his death that your salvation is going to come. So Jesus knows his mission and his purpose. And when life isn't fair, he doesn't throw up to God, why isn't life being fair? But he looks at his greater mission and his greater purpose of what's happening in his life right there. And that's exactly what we need to do. Now, what do I mean by that? To look at our greater mission and our greater purpose when life isn't fair. Well, we all have gifts and abilities. I'm not talking about your spiritual gift or your spiritual ability. We all have an overriding mission and purpose, but we often miss it. And the overriding mission and purpose that every disciple of Christ has is this. You are to be salt and light in a world that is dark and hurting. You see, we look at a dark and hurting world and we think, it's not fair. Why is it like this? When the the exact opposite of what we were supposed to be thinking, the world is dark and evil, and I've been put here by God to make a difference in a dark, evil world. If every time the world is dark, you wonder why there's darkness, you're never going to get around to being the cure to the darkness. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And we were supposed to be making a difference in the hurt, the evil, and the darkness of the world that is all around us. And yet if all we do is question why it's dark, we never get around to it in the first place. Jesus knew his mission and purpose. He didn't want to get out of the trial. He didn't want to be declared innocent. He remained silent in the midst of an unfair trial because he had a greater mission and purpose. So when bad things come upon you, when the world isn't what it was supposed to be, you can react in a couple of different ways. One way you can react is to say, why is this happening? Why didn't God love me? What's going on here? But the way you were supposed to react is this. This is an unfair world. There are evil people out in this world who need the love and grace of God. And I've been sent here to be a light in this world that's dark. And so in a world of hate, you're supposed to be the person that gives love. In a world of conflict, you are supposed to be working for peace. In a world of desperation, you are supposed to be trying to bring hope. In a world of selfishness, you were supposed to bring humility. In a world that takes, you were supposed to give. And so we, we look at these things and we begin to say, what would happen if I begin to not question darkness, but to counteract the darkness with the love of God? That's what Jesus is doing. Cheryl Haley is a elementary school teacher. And when she graduated from the University of Georgia, Uh, she entered a program called Teach America. And what Teach America is, is they will pay off your college debts if you will uh, work in a underprivileged school for two years. And so they sent her to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. She had a terrible experience. She said the school was about as bad as you could be. And there was one kid in particular who was just out of control and made her life miserable by the name of Jerome Robinson. And after two years, her principal came to her and said, well, You know, your program's up, but we want you to stay on at the school. You've been a great teacher. And she said, man, I've never wanted to get away from a place so bad in my life. I just want to get out of here. And he said, well, what's wrong? And she said, well, you know, it's just been miserable day after day. There's one kid, Jerome. I mean, he just drives me crazy. I can't take it anymore. And he said, you've made such a difference in Jerome's life. You wouldn't believe the difference in Jerome from when you started till now. 
And as a matter of fact, I heard Jerome say in the cafeteria the other day that he wished you were his mother. This was an orphaned boy, Jerome Robinson, with a, with a small brother. And so she began to look at it a little bit differently. And so she began to pray what to do. She stayed one more year at the school. She became a mentor to Jerome. At the end of that year, she adopted him and his little brother. They've moved back to Marietta, Georgia, and Jerome is now making straight A's. Here's a picture of Cheryl, Jerome, and his little brother right there. And it all happened because of one reason. Because she stopped looking at the situation and saying, why is this a bad circumstance? And started asking, what can I do to bring light into this circumstance? And that's what we were supposed to be doing in the world in which we live. That brings us to the third thing that we see in our scripture passage. So you, we, it's not a fair world. We're supposed to try to be light in the midst of the darkness of this unfair world. And the third thing we see is this. But you need to know that one day all the wrongs of this world are going to be made right. You know, it's not that it goes on forever and that things are always unfair. One day God is going to make right the things of this world. So Jesus has remained silent. He's saying nothing in the midst of this unfair trial. Look at the middle of verse 63. Then the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath in the name of the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say this to all of you. In the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. So the chief priest said, under oath, before God, tell us if you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, yes, I am the Messiah. And one day, everyone's going to see me coming in power and glory. You see, that was an unfair trial going on right there. It wasn't right. It was rigged. There were liars. There was false testimony. And Jesus was saying, one day I'm going to come back and I'm going to make right every wrong in this world. So when you wonder, why should I stand up and try to be a light in the darkness? It's because the darkness isn't always going to exist. That there is going to come a day when all of the problems and the troubles and the unfairness and the sickness and the hurt and the evil of this world is going to be gone. When Jesus comes back again. You see, Jesus is doing exactly what he was supposed to. He's going to the cross for your salvation. But one day, because of that, he's coming back to take over. The cross didn't take God by surprise. Do you remember when Jesus before Pilate, what was said? Jesus wasn't cooperating with Pilate either. And Pilate got frustrated and he said to Jesus, answer me. Don't you know I can put you to death? And do you remember what Jesus said to Pilate? He said, you don't have any power over me. The only power you have, I've given you. If I wanted to, at this very second, I could snap my fingers and every angel in heaven would come wipe this planet out. Don't tell me you've got any power over me. Jesus is the one that's in charge. And one day Jesus has said clearly here, I'm coming again in power and glory. And I'm going to make right the wrongs of this world. For all of the hurts and all of the evil and all of the unfairness that's there, God is going to come again and make a recompense. And that's something that we can hold on to and believe in and know that one day the wrongs of this world are going to be made right. 
And until that happens, the best that we can do is to be that light in the darkness. There's a lady that lives in uh, Italy by the name of Norma Irma. Uh, she's got two first names. I guess that's how Italians are. I don't know. But, but anyway, Norma Irma is 93 years old. Uh, her granddaughter went over to see her the other day, and Norma was packing her bags. And she said, Grandma, what in the world are you doing? And she said, well, uh, you know, I've been supporting this Christian orphanage in Kenya for years. And I'm getting a little bit older. And uh, not, you know, my health's starting to fail a little bit. And I figured before I went to see Jesus, I need to see all my kids in the orphanage, so I'm going to go work there for a month. And her granddaughter said, what? And she said, you know, you ought to come and work too. Here's a picture of Norma Irma getting on the airplane, flying to Kenya to help in the orphanage that she's been supporting for years. You see, you can question why they're orphans. You can question the darkness, or you can try to do something about the darkness. And that's what Norma's doing. And that brings us to the last thing that we see in our scripture. So what have we seen so far? Life's not fair. Oh, well, it's not fair. Don't, you know, don't, don't, don't think it's ever going to be. Be a light when it's not fair. One day the wrongs of this world are going to be made right. And until that time, live a life of faith regardless of your circumstances. So Jesus tells the chief priest, yes, I'm the Messiah. And one day you're going to see me coming in power and glory. Now, if you're already looking for a charge against Jesus, this is going to enrage you. Let's look at see what happens in verse 65. Then the high priest tore his clothes and says, he's spoken blasphemy. We don't need any more witnesses. Look, you've heard blasphemy. What do you think? He's worthy of death, they answered. They spit in his face. They smacked him with their fists. They slapped him. And they said, prophesy to us, Christ, who's the one hitting you? So the reaction is they go berserk. They spit in his face. They smack him. They begin to beat him. They begin to mock him. They begin to yell he's worthy of death. And in the midst of all of this, Jesus keeps his dignity. He understands his purpose. And he keeps on because he knows his suffering is going to bring your salvation. When circumstances hit you in life that aren't good... When things come upon you that aren't fair, and I'm telling you, they're coming. If you've one of those few people that's lived a blessed life and it's never hit you, hold on. It's, it's coming. Just give it another day or two. Uh, life is going to be unfair over and over again. So when it's unfair, instead of letting your circumstances control you, let God control you. You see, circumstances come and go. One day you're going to have a good day. Another day you're going to have a bad day. One day you're going to be healthy. One day you're going to be sick. Uh, Then you'll be healthy again. Uh, You know, you're going to go back and forth. If you let your circumstances rule your life, what's going to happen is you're going to go up and down. You're going to be on an emotional roller coaster because circumstances can't be what causes you to have faith or not. Regardless of your circumstances, You have to have faith that God is in charge and that it's going to work out exactly the way he wanted it. So our job then is to be a light in the darkness regardless of your circumstance. And I'm here to tell you when life falls apart and it's not fair, that's when a world that doesn't believe is going to look at you as a disciple closer than any other time. It's easy to follow God when everything's going good. What happens when everything falls apart? What's your faith like then? That's what they want to know. 
And when they see you have faith and be a light, even in the midst of darkness, that's when they want to know what you've got and where you got it. R.A. Dickey, uh, the Major League Baseball pitcher, just retired this year at the age of 43 years old. He's got kind of an interesting story, kind of a very sad story of a life of up and down. His parents were separated when he was young, and he was bounced in and out of foster homes and other things. When he was eight years old, he had a babysitter that sexually abused him over a long period of time. When he was 10 years of age, he was raped. And he said he began to think that he was less than an aunt, that uh, he didn't matter to anybody. He was angry and confused, said he felt dirty and no good. By the time he got into Little League Baseball, uh, R.A. Dickey uh, began to find out he was a good pitcher. And that's where he began to get affirmation. So he put everything he had into his baseball. By the time he was in high school, he was the best baseball player in the state of Tennessee, got a full scholarship to the University of Tennessee. When he got to Tennessee, he became an All-American at the University of Tennessee, uh, met a, a beautiful young girl uh, at the University of Tennessee, a strong Christian. They got married. Life could not have been any better. Here's a picture of R.A. Dickey. And his, with a, can you got that first picture there? Is there another picture? Maybe not. Uh, there it is. That's a picture of him and his wife right there uh, at the University of Tennessee. And everything was going well. When he graduated, he was drafted by the Texas Rangers. Texas Rangers were so impressed with him, they offered him an $810,000 contract uh, as a rookie. And uh, all he had to do was pass the physical. He got there, took the physical, and flunked the physical. They told him there was something wrong with his elbow. And they began to investigate and found out that he had a ligament in his elbow that was never going to be right. And he was told, you're never going to pitch again. Well, he didn't know what to do. He was devastated. Uh, he went home and tried to commit suicide. Actually put a pipe in his car, lowered the garage door, and in the midst of it, panicked and stopped the act. Uh, he went to the minor leagues. They ended up signing him for $60,000 sending him to the minor leagues, to Omaha. When he was in Omaha, he met Oral Hershiser, who said, well, let me show you how to throw a knuckleball. And he started showing him the knuckleball. He got pretty good at it. And in two or three years, the Texas Rangers called him back up. He said he remembered thanking and praising God for being called back up. He was so excited. First game, he pitched. He gave up seven home runs in one inning. And he was sent back to the minor leagues for the next four years. He said his life was at the lowest point it could have been. He was now in his 30s, had only played a couple of days of Major League Baseball, and he got so desperate and so angry at God that during a game, he, before a game, he went to the Missouri River, jumped in to kill himself. He said he remembered sinking all the way and hitting the ground of the Missouri River as the waters came upon him, he said he began to pray, God, forgive me for my life. Forgive me for what I'm doing to my wife and my children. Just forgive me, Lord, for the kind of person I am. And he said out of nowhere, a hand grabbed him and pulled him out of the water. One of his teammates had saw him jump into the river from his hotel room and had ran down to the river, dove in and saved him. He said he went back home. He talked to his wife. 
And he told her, man, my life's out of control and I need, a, I need God so bad. <clears throat> he went and he told his pastor, you know, I don't care about baseball anymore. I just want to serve God. And so his whole life began to change. He said, suddenly he didn't care if he played baseball or not. He just, uh, you know, that was just something he was doing at the time. He began to preach, go around, tell his story. And then he was called back to the major leagues at 35 years of age. He pitched for a couple years with the New York Mets, did okay. And then in 2012, at the age of 38 years old, R.A. Dickey won the Cy Young Award, the best pitcher in Major League Baseball, and signed a $25 million contract with the New York Mets. And he just retired at the age of 43. He looks back on all of that and said, I almost let my circumstances be what dictated my life. And then I decided it was going to be God that dictated my life. And when I did, my whole life changed. My friends, you can look at your life and say, why is it not fair? Why are all these things happening? None of them were right. And you can become overwhelmed and whine and complain and become depressed. And you will be right. It wasn't right and it wasn't fair. Or you can take a different attitude and say, life isn't fair. In this world, I'm going to have trouble. But be of good cheer. There's a God who's overcome this world. And you can become the answer to the darkness that's in the world with the light that you live. Let's have a prayer. Jesus, thank you for the way that you love us for the way that you forgive us and strengthen us even when we don't deserve it. Father, help us to be the light that makes a difference in this world's darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come to this time of invitation, and the first part of the invitation is for you to look at your life and to say, where am I right now? What's going on in my life that's not fair? Am I letting that circumstance become my life? Or am I going to be a light in the middle of that circumstance? You're going to have problems in this life. Some of them are going to be major. Some of them are going to knock you for a loop. And you can question why it happened. Or you can say, this isn't a fair world. It was, it's not the world I live in. And yet I'm going to be a light even in the midst of a dark world. And when you do that, everything begins to change. And so just say, Lord, in the midst of my problems and troubles, help me look to you. Lord, as I look at the unfairness of this world, help me be a light in the darkness. During this time, you can come and pray at this altar about needs and things going on in your life. You've got ministers that would love to pray with you. You can come and say, I want to join this church and be a part of what this church is doing. And the most important thing you could ever do is to come down a aisle and say, I want Jesus Christ in my life. And when you do that, that's the beginning of everything becoming new. God never said it's going to be a world with no problems. He said that when the problems come, he's going to be with you every single step of the way. But stand together and you respond as God leads you.
As you go out this week, I want you to go out with a little bit different attitude. You're going to see things this week that aren't right, some that are evil. You're going to see things that aren't just and aren't fair. And instead of looking at it and wondering, why is the world this way? Look at it in this way. Maybe I'm here in this situation because God has put me here to be the difference. Maybe I'm supposed to be the light at my school, at my work, uh, in my neighborhood. Maybe I'm supposed to be the one that makes a difference in this situation. That when people are hurting and helpless, I'm supposed to supply the word and the grace and the care and the hug and the love. Don't just look at the world and wonder why it's the way that it is. Look at the world and think, I'm here because God has sent me to make a difference in this world. And when you do that, you're going to look at it through some different eyes. Let's close with a prayer. Father, we're going to go out this week, and there's going to be a lot of things swirling around us that aren't right. And instead of throwing our hands up and getting frustrated, Father, this week I look around this room, the hundreds of people that are in this room right now, and I know that you are sending them out to make a difference, that every person in this room is supposed to be a light that shines in the darkness of the evil of this world. Father, help us to shine this week for you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.